This is Shaco Art Speak. Hey, welcome to Shaco Art Speak. We are back with a little bit of a different episode for you. As some of you may know, the East Coast has been getting pounded with a ton of rain lately, and Richmond is not an exception. Our podcasting studio has gotten some roof damage, so we're not able to be in there right now. But in the meantime, we do have some things that didn't make a full episode, but we would like to share with you. So while this week will be a little bit different, we do hope to be back with you very soon. Debris. All right, so um, this past weekend I was at a wedding, um, and where we were, you know, it was, it was kind of a very, I don't know, hectic suburban spot. Um, so there was a lot of sprawl. So there were no, like, real green spaces. It was tough to find stuff. Stuff was just jammed in together. Um, so there's a lot of things pat, driving through and passing through. You just miss seeing because there's so much of it. But one thing that really did stand out, one thing I saw on a sign uh, that made me laugh a lot was it was on a rental sign um, for, it was like a sign for like a rent, like an equipment rental place where you get like, you know, backhoes and skid steers and stuff. <laughs> and it said, uh, it said, uh, worst, worst apocalypse ever. Stay safe, fam. <laughs> and I was like, that's hilarious because that's, that's, you know, kind of a sentiment that I've heard. Um, but it just kind of, yeah, it just made me think a little bit more about this past year and how uh, rough it was. And also the places where like some kind of sanity and solace was found. Um, and one of the things uh, for me about this last year is like the best way to describe it is it just felt really pathetic. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you look back on it, you're probably not sitting there being like, man, I've got some really strong, good memories about COVID, COVID world. Um mm-hmm. In fact, you're probably sitting there saying, man, uh, when do we get out of this? Uh, wouldn't it be neat to be able to see folks and be around people and stuff like that? Um, and yeah, it just felt pathetic. And so um, what kind of was in my head a lot early on in COVID uh, were some of the lines from T.S. Eliot's poet, The Hollow Men. And I don't know if uh, people have heard it or if they've read it um, in the past or they have like a real good experience of it. But I kind of wanted to read that um, just to give you a chance to to hear it. A reading? A, I a, once a heard. poetic reading. Yeah. One, one of my favorite um, <laughs> commentaries on poems is to say that uh, poems are best understood read. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're like, you have uh, to hear. You, you really do. Yeah. Hear, hear the poem. Not, and, not, it's like the reading of the poem is one thing, but just to read poetry quietly, it's got to be spoken aloud. Yeah. Even if you're reading it to yourself in an empty room. Yeah. Read it I out mean, loud. like, it's necessary. So, um, you know, if you will, if you will turn to page 75 of your English book and follow along. Uh, but no, The Hollow Men by TSL, you should totally check it out. Uh, give it a few reads. Uh, what I've found is that it, it ages well. It really, uh, it really does work well. So, uh, here we go. Do it. We are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men, leaning together, headpiece filled with straw. Alas, our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless as wind and dry grass, a rat's feet over broken glass in our dry cellar. Shape without form, shade without color, paralyzed force, gesture without motion. Those who have crossed with direct eyes to death's other kingdom remember us, if at all, not as lost violent souls, but only as the hollow men, the stuffed men. Eyes I dare not meet in dreams, in death's dream kingdom these do not appear. There, the eyes are sunlight on a broken column. There is a tree swinging, and voices are in the wind singing, more distant and more solemn than a fading star. Let me be no nearer in death's dream kingdom. Let me also wear such deliberate disguises, 
rats' coats, crow skin, cross staves in a field, behaving as the wind behaves, no nearer. Not that final meeting in the Twilight Kingdom. This is the dead land. This is cactus land. Here the stone images are raised. Here they receive the supplication of a dead man's hand under the twinkle of a fading star. Is it like this in death's other kingdom, waking alone at the hour when we are trembling with tenderness? Lips that would kiss form prayers to broken stone. The eyes are not here. There are no eyes here in this valley of dying stars, in this hollow valley, this broken jaw of our lost kingdoms. In this last of meeting places, we grope together and avoid speech, gathered on this beach of this tumid river, sightless, unless the eyes reappear as the perpetual star, multifoliate rose of death's twilight kingdom, the hope only of empty men. Here we go round the prickly pear, prickly pear, prickly pear. Here we go round the prickly pear at five o'clock in the morning. Between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act, falls the shadow, for thine is the kingdom. Between the conception and the creation, between the emotion and the response falls the shadow. Life is very long. Between the desire and the spasm, between, between the potency and the existence, between the essence and the descent falls the shadow. For thine is the kingdom. For thine is, life is. For thine is the, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. So a lot of things about that really kind of stood out over the last year. Um, one of them is that uh, in the last year, some of the things that I think were able to kind of keep me going at times, they weren't, um, they weren't Zoom calls. They weren't, you know, getting online and playing some video game with my, my group of friends. Uh, mm -hmm. It wasn't these like digital spaces. It, were, it, it, was, it was parts of art and design that really dealt with depth. Mm-hmm. Because there was a pause in this past year, you know, so, um, the paintings in my house, um, the ideas that became pieces I made, um, really good films, uh, music was a mm -hmm. huge one and poetry was another one. Mm -hmm. Uh, several poets just kind of like stuck out in my mind. Yeah. Outdoor work was on for me, yard work and building, oh, building stuff, gardening, fencing. Yes. But the, uh, so go back the, there's something in the quote. He, he's saying the shadow is between the, at the end. Yeah. It's between the conception and the creation. Okay. Between the emotion and the response falls the shadow between the desire and the spasm between the potency and the existence between the essence and the descent falls the shadow. And I think that's, that's something important. Well, I guess what I was trying to think about is, is in, um, shadows are cast because something is, um, in front of a ray of light. Yeah. And so, um, the, sh the shadow is falling, uh, in, a, in such a way that it's speaking to a kind of brokenness, um, things, things that are, um, alienated from each other. There's chasms. Right. Yes. So it's kind of like, um, if you go, you know, if you go to look at, when was this written? Uh, this was, it was post-World War II. So it okay. was, you know, yeah, it was sometime yeah. in the twenties. So it's like reading this poem and looking at a Max Beckman painting. Yeah. Because Beckman, you know, makes these. Uh, black outline chasms around figures. So they're always um, alienated from the, the most immediate things in front of them in, mm -hmm. in the paintings. And this is post-World War II coming out of Germany and yeah. Nazi Germany, all this stuff. So you have a lot of people dealing with th those ideas, um, it seems like. And um, 
to to observe the um you notice if if you were to say hey i'm alienated from myself mm-hmm. um we might we might go well no but then in the same breath we're pretty keen to admit we don't know ourselves as well or yeah we want to grow that kind of thing which is another way of saying i'm alienated from myself the question mm-hmm. is should we be yeah uh, the question is how did how did that happen you know how did you you know mm-hmm. things don't break unless they fall unless they fall that's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, or yeah, someone 100%. breaks it or, you know, so like what, you know, it's, it's interesting that this one's getting at something that, um, you know, uh, I think, I think you've seen a lot of, um, brokenness exposed, mm, yeah. um, at the expense of something pretty horrific like COVID. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it didn't necessarily break everything, although it did break some things, but it exposed a lot of broken things. Yeah. And we're really in a season where people are turning over a lot of broken things, systems. Yep. Um, the question is, is uh, are we working with enough to, to, to put things back together again? Or Yeah, and I think, you know, even with those kind of dichotomies that is playing, you know, between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act, between conception and creation, emotion and response, desire and spasm, potency, existence, essence and descent and says that the, the, the shadow falls between those. Mm-hmm. And so that means that like in a, in a real sense, uh, the idea cannot see reality and mm-hmm. reality cannot see ideas, mm-hmm. you know? So there, there's an obscuring and it's not an obscuring of one thing. It's that both are obscured from each other. Mm-hmm. So it is, it, it, it is, it is less of a limiting and it's more of an obliteration mm-hmm. of things, which I don't think that we tend to have, thinking in that kind of realm. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think we think in, 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 I don't think we think deeply enough. I don't think we think harshly enough. I don't think we think expansively enough. I think a lot of times we are, we are happy to think in uh, one order of magnitude larger than we're used to mm-hmm. and fail to recognize that the world probably exists in thousands of magnitudes more than we realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that, that things don't just get a little messed up. Mm-hmm. That oftentimes yeah. things get destroyed, mm-hmm. which yeah, also, is a yeah. huge impetus for makers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I don't think we think, I think, you know, where I would say that I probably struggled a lot is I might be able to think in certain terms, but then my doing is kind of, um, flippant to, or just, you know, it's like, uh, um, it's like that terrible video of that lady that was taking selfies, helping people repair places post some of the protests and stuff. Yeah. And then as soon as the, the selfie is taken, she opts her car and leaves. Like she's not actually a part of the scenario, but she's mm-hmm. capitalizing on it for some social capital. I mean, it's like, it's like that. It's like doing that with real brokenness. And that is, um, and it's too tricky. You don't really know who's who, you yeah. know? So like we're in this really profound time of brokenness. You can't mm-hmm. really know for sure who, who's the selfie taker for their own gain. It is tough. You know what I'm saying? Like, in, yeah. In like how we reconcile, um, you know, what we what we perceive and how we act in response, and our our, our our actions are, you know, there's a lot of great people doing great stuff. So, but there's a lot of uh, impotent responses, um, in and or what I would say is there's a line of of people acting that we have the privilege of not knowing about mm-hmm. because we don't need to know Yeah, because there are people that are caring for their neighbor. I mean, I got shreds of stories of people doing amazing things, mm-hmm. but because they're not, they're not, um, 
seeking glory and fame or recognition, you don't know about it. And um, yeah. that's happening far more than the brokenness we see uh, mediated to us. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, there's, there's, there's just a much compl- uh, more complete story that rivals the soft whimpering mm-hmm. phenomena we were experiencing in some ways. Yeah, there definitely is. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, our, our kind of, our kind of rote response to the world, especially in times of, of, of hardship, mm-hmm. um, in extraordinary times, some people have labeled stuff. Um, I think sometimes it is that retreat. Um, and I think we saw it as a lot of people were very comfortable to kind of back back into their homes mm-hmm. and just kind of stay there. I mean, even yeah. now, like people don't want to get out, yep. you know, so the, whole, I mean, I don't want to get out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get out for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I talked about that earlier yeah. in terms of, Gaining my weight. <laughs> yeah. But weight know, gain. But the, you know, the COVID first, 50. <laughs> I got the COVID 50. Um, but, you know, the first two lines of the poem, like, we're the hollow men, we're the stuffed men mm-hmm. leaning together. You know, we hold each other up mm-hmm. in our hollowness. Um, and in your stuffedness. And in your stuffedness. I mean, like, yeah. you know, we're, we're stuffed up with what? Um, stuffed it, up for what? <laughs> there was just a point uh, during COVID where I, I, I borrowed from Elliot and then I borrowed from. Oppenheimer who borrowed from Bhagavad Gita um, and just kind of made this portmanteau where it was like, we are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men, destroyer of worlds. Mm -hmm. You know that when we're in that state, when that is the place that we are complacent to, we are world destroyers. Yeah, we are world destroyers. And so, you know, it makes the, if if we think about that and you might be like, whoa, dude, y'all are like super somber right now. Like maybe, but, uh, but I think this is the charge like with art and design. Mm-hmm. It's not that we're making for a world that's already enamored with all the good things. It's that oftentimes we're making for a world that needs us. Like yeah. that's the value. Yeah. You know, like I don't go to a museum because I'm just like, you know what? I'm at 120% with being just completely okay with everything. I just want to add a little bit more on top. Yeah. A lot of times I'm like, I need to get fed. Yeah. 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 I need to eat. I need to eat better meals. Yeah. And that's, and that's the reality of it. So again, you know, you, 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 as much as you can, as much as you'd love to, you can't just eat taquitos from 7 Eleven. Nah, dude. You will get sick. You will. Yeah. As you should, because some of Mm. those have been there for days, days and days. And there's not real meat in those things. Yeah. Not the meat you want to eat. (laughs) That's the thing. Dude, if I'm running a brand of non meat meat, I'm calling it not the meat you want to (laughs) eat. Yeah, that's for real. Not the meat you want to eat. Oh, gosh. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> oh, meat derail. Oh. I mean, dude, it's it, we just go brain debris and brain debris. Yeah, constantly. It's what it is. I mean, yeah. um, you hit a stride, and you just say you don't you don't understand the depth of these levels of brain debris. Oh, it's it's. Um, I've been thinking about this whole time. You can't uh, get to the bottom the of the red hole. worlds. I, all I've been imagining <laughs> is Star Trek. And uh, like, like the Borg or something. The good no, just the good intention of Kirk and his crew to go out there and. Explore new worlds, but yeah, they're bringing yeah. the 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 potential to destroy new worlds as much as they're bringing yeah, the, the potential to discover new worlds because it's wrought within them. Dude, uh, the prime directive. Yeah. Like that's what they call it in Star Trek, right? The prime directive was we are observers of the world. Yes. And you know what observers of the do. world are? Yeah. They're uh, bystanders that are voyeurs. cowards. Cowardly voyeurs. Cowardly bystanders. But also potential destroyers of worlds mm-hmm. because, you know, there's a, a volatility wrought within us. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Don't talk about that. I know. Debris. Debris.
so this just dropped out of uh, the air, a little brain debris. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that sprinkle, that sprinkle. movie, um, Basquiat. Mm-hmm. You remember that movie? Yeah, who was that about? Jean Jean Michel Basquiat. Oh yeah, the, the guy, the my favorite chef. Yeah, a lot of people. This is a weird thing going on too, where a lot of people right now are trying to paint like him, but in the most, um, like they're really appropriating him more than mm. they're trying to paint in the energy of him, if that makes sense. It's yeah, like they're it, trying it to look like, almost almost like Halloween, like dressing up as Basquiat. Yeah, yeah. And so they're not they're not continuing a dialogue. They're actually just appropriating what he's already said. Yeah, because he spent a lot of time getting to that space. And, like it, you know, it's like yeah. hard work to look at something that people are just like, oh, I can just kind of slap some stuff yeah. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's got a unique vibe. And I've seen that a lot, but I, so just one of those brain to brain moments that kind of like pops up for mm-hmm. me often is David Bowie playing Andy Warhol, which is, which is crazy because which is amazing. I, it, Cause before you get into like that, I like just as a side for that, I feel like David Bowie is already kind of like music's Andy Warhol exactly. anyway. Yes. So I agree. him playing that, it's like, it's like, wait, who, yeah. who, who, who is who? on, who's on screen? Exactly. Who are we looking at? Yeah. And so whenever I think, so the, his, David Bowie's Andy Warhol often pops into my head yeah. as satellite brain debris. I bet it does. And so I, I, and I will, you know, find myself, I have to like to talk like him. I have to say Bowie a lot. Mm-hmm. Bowie. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you have to warm it, you know, you have to warm up and it's like Bowie, Bowie. You got to like relax into it. Yeah. You have to relax into it. And so there's that great scene where Jean-Michel in the movie. You, so this is a, a satellite brain debris recommendation to watch the Jean-Michel Basquiat movie made by mm-hmm. Julian Schnabel. Yes. Who's great a great stuff. bombastic 80s painter that's still making gigantic paintings and a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so he's got that scene where he says, uh, I don't think I could teach you anything. You're really good. <laughs> to Jean-Michel. You're, Wait, a real, you're a real painter. Did we just turn the movie on? Jean-Michel, you're a real painter. You're rich, Bruno. And um, yes. so whenever you see someone, whenever I see somebody who's really good, I'm, I always have... Bowie playing Warhol going, I don't think I could teach you anything. You're really good. Have you ever pulled that out in class? Absolutely. And no one knows what it is. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, wait, I was, I was born in this century. Yeah. They just, they just accept it at face value, but it does raise the, the two second question. Um, maybe you can't teach someone to be an artist, mm. you know, like maybe you can't, you can copy someone, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and you can give people tools, but maybe the voice of the individual has to be their voice. No, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So thinking about the way the irony of, of Warhol being, uh, or of um, Basquiat being appropriated by people is that like, it's kind of like not their voice, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, you can't yeah. teach them that. So we have to em- emulate that kind of thing. You know, we've talked about in episodes, you got to emulate or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I just have that in my head sometimes. And even in my studio, I just will sometimes say, you're a real painter if I'm feeling good about a painting. Yeah, it's yeah. like I need, I need Bowie's, I have to channel Bowie's affirmation. Yeah, your your uh, your your power of positive thinking, uh, spirit animal is David Bowie. Yeah, as uh, Andy Warhol. So I feel like you know maybe one of the things I, I think for most of us that are makers is maybe sometimes it's good to have like like a soundbite voice that gives you confirmation. Mm-hmm. I can't teach you anything. You're really good. <laughs> yeah. That's great. <laughs> Satellite brain debris. Yeah, you're welcome. Brain debris. Hello. Hello. 
So uh, one, one thing I think that we, if you listen to the podcast, if anybody's out there listening, the, the thing that I think they'll pick up on is we allude to a lot of people we, we read. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, we don't always go into who those people are yeah. <laughs> or like who, like who's made us think in certain ways. So I wanted to pop in and, um, uh, something I've been doing a lot lately is, uh, searching out. Wait, are types. you cooking up some secret sauce right now? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Drop that sauce. Sorry. Uh, I just realized you're about to reveal something. This is yeah. big, dude. Wait, wait, what am I about to reveal? I mean, some of the secret sauce of the podcast. Oh, 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 sorry. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like well, this is, I mean, this is just, not light what you're just, doing right now. I mean, it's just you and me talking, right? I mean, that's, that's right. all it is. Like, okay. Nobody's listening, right? Correct. Okay. Just you and me. So sorry. We, it's cool. Um, Gareth looks scared. I didn't mean that. Sorry. Gareth. No, at first I was like, wait, am I doing something? I'm not supposed no, you're to doing something. And then great. I was like, or am I not doing something? I should be. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. And yes. Always. So um, one of the things I, so I've had a problem with art writing as long as I've known that it's a thing. Uh, and for all of the very particular things that have historically been noted about it, like there's a pretension, there's also a tendency of people that don't practice to write a whole lot and talk a whole lot. It, Jerry Salt. Yeah. And it makes it difficult uh, because you read something and you're like, that's not true. And you're way too adamant about it. Um, <clears throat> so I have found a person that I actually really, really enjoy. And um, thank you, Ryan, for it. So I felt the need to pass this along to you know, whatever might be listening and the, through the walls. Um, so Dave Hickey, mm-hmm. uh, I started off because I was introduced by you to his <clears throat> more, I don't know what you'd call it, like laid back, more kind of, uh, artful, mm-hmm. like musings yeah. on art and other things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you gifted me a book called air guitar, which, uh, from the first page I was hooked, like just really good devour the thing gone back to it several times, which made me seek out his more academic writing, Mm -hmm. um, which is also good, but feeds in a different way. Yep. Um, So it's been really nice to have a guy as intelligent as Dave Hickey writing these essays and reading them in a way that's just super, I mean, it's just chill, but it's also nice to see this guy actually believes that like art is important. Yeah. And yeah, he's, he's started off as a collector and around people. He's yeah, he's a, a well-worn dude, you know, yeah. like he's inhabited a lot of, he's breathed a lot of the air that creativity has happened in mm-hmm. and, um, and it has existed as a really sharp, sharp critic and academic, but has a little bit of a, a Americana. Yeah, dude, there's a, there's um, like a Hunter S. Thompson feel mm-hmm. at times where it's yep. like a little gonzo. Um, but it's always like, it's always insightful yep. and he, he is artful in the way he puts together an essay. Yeah. He can, he can be disarming. And also because he was disarming, he, I mean, he still is, I mean, he's, he's up in age now, but he also sometimes ruffled feathers and, and was, um, Oh, I could see that. Yeah. He, he definitely <clears throat> could upset people, but, but because he was disarming, it created a conflict in, in discourse, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, cause he could get away with saying something casual that actually meant like, they're like casual punches that had a lot of thought weight to them where you're like provoked. Mm-hmm. But the way he's saying it is not not um, in, in sort of um, encapsulated in academic rhetoric. Mm-hmm. But you you know that he has it, so you can't swing back at him the same way. But dude, I feel like it's, it's almost like the way that really good art like hits you in the face too, right? Where you're just like, ah, maybe that makes me feel uncomfortable, or this feels something's off. But at least you're having some sort of emotional, or mental, or you know, physiological reaction yeah. to something. And I like that about him because <clears throat> sometimes a lot of the 
a lot of the art writing I've read, it, it can be real, like just kind of stuffy and just mm-hmm. like tough, but it can also just be devoid of being interesting. Yep. Where it's like, oh, you have so clinically dismembered this topic that mm-hmm. now it's just repulsive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you've, yeah, exactly. It's, um, um, so to, so I think that's something that I think we both probably care about that. I mean, I don't know, man, I, I wish I long for more, um, voice variation. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to actually live. And that's the thing is, so for me, Hick, Hickey's lived a life. Yeah. And, and he's he got chose things to, to say. Touch it, to teach at UNLV, mm-hmm. to live in Las Vegas. Like he's made conscientious choices. I mean, he, I, I, I can't remember if he like owned an antique shop or something like that in the beginning, him and his wife. That's awesome. I mean, so they started in a very particular way with yeah. material culture and kind of uh, lucked in or, or sort of backed into hanging around artists back in the day in, in Southern California, I believe, or maybe in Texas. But um, yeah, I definitely think he comes to mind as far as someone who's been, who, who exudes something because he's lived something and that mm-hmm. you can't kind of, you can't contrive it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, but my reading is not comprehensive of him. So, you know, my recommendation is, you know, hit up air guitar, and air guitar. ease back into his academic stuff if you really like it. But do you have any other uh, books of his that you have videos online? His, his, his book. Um, I mean, I would go take, take a, a gander at some of his lectures as well. Just, just, but you got to go decades with him. You can't yeah. just go, um, he's not the kind of person you can take in and know at one dose. Like you've got to go back and read multiple generations. So, um, the air guitar is the best for me though. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. Brain debris. Brain debris. Boop, 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 boop. Orbiting in brain debris. Yeah, so uh, uh, you and I have had some conversations, Ryan, about um, stuff with the past show, especially with the like apocalyptic uh, kind of uh, you know space. It was it was kind of veering into. Um, You mentioned Mad Max, and so uh, from that mentioning, it kept being in my head. And so the last week and a half, me and my wife has sat down and we've watched the first two. And I completely forgot about the first one. I, I had remade the, the trilogy in a completely different way. Yeah. So number two uh, was number one and number two in the trilogy in right. my mind. So when I went back and we started with Mad Max, I had to remember the film. Yeah, totally. But the last time I'd seen Mad Max, I was probably, I don't know, a teenager or something. Mm-hmm. Or was it in college or it was long enough to go to, go to forget. Um, and all I remembered was like the last 20 minutes of it. I mm-hmm. thought that was the entire film. So, uh, at one point, um, my wife was like, when do they start actually like fighting for gas? And I, and I kept thinking, I was like, when does he get to the freaking desert? Yeah. Like what's going on? He's just like, it's like this bucolic thing traveling around with his family. Right. Yeah. So it was nuts because I had forgotten so much about the entire trilogy. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's like a reference in the essay for the show and the, the, the book that we have with it. And, uh, the unsettling transition from things looking sort of like normal life, if you will. Yeah. The stuff you assume and take for granted to mm-hmm. it's it breaking down and then the, the decay. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that transition that that movie, uh, that's the apocalyptic, you know, that's one of the ones mm-hmm. that images this idea of the apocalypse in that particular kind of way. Yeah. Um, and then it launches as a genre. But, um, but yeah, I was saying earlier like that, 
the psychology of the silence of that that movie in certain ways, the lack of uh, dialogue mm-hmm. was really is was as unsettling as the transition, the visual transition, yeah. the way it kind of ends in a desert sort of thing. Yeah, and it's uh, you know it's crazy because he in Mad Max he he talks a good bit, mm-hmm. right? Uh, starts off, you hear from him, he's got his banter with his friends, you see him in his job, all sort of stuff. There is conversation, even though he's a really quiet guy. Yeah, he's a quiet guy. But then, yeah. like, in Road Warrior, I, mean, yeah. I don't know, maybe he's got, like, three lines? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, he, he goes There's through a, almost a, nothing. Yeah, he goes through a transition. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's, like, it's kind of like a lot of 80s trilogies. By the third one, it's got a little bit of a car. It's still, you know, Beyond the Thunderdome has, like, a quality in the same way Rocky three mm-hmm. has a quality yeah. of, or even return of the Jedi has a quality. They, they start to get a little bombastic, yeah. which was a thing in the eighties. Oh yeah. You mean like, yeah. uh, like, um, back to the future three where they get yes. back in time and they have a, like a flying train. Yeah. They're in the West. So <laughs> it's weird how a lot of those are around the same period of time mm-hmm. and it's like a natural, uh, progression, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like that whole that's a that's a large podcast discussion as far as the apocalypse goes, and and uh, you know if someone's listening, check out the book, yeah, <laughs> or totally. something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of thoughts in there about it, but um, you know, meaning that it's not necessarily the way a, the apocalypse might be best understood. Right, right. As a weird kind of discussion around a show we we did against the backdrop of of what feels like the apocalypse and still does. Yeah. Um, but the question is like, where do we get the semiotics for that feeling? Mm-hmm. And, and is it self-fulfilling? You know, mm-hmm. have we seen enough Mad Max to want to make a Mad Max world? Is well, it quite, you know, as a, a way of thinking about it. You know, one of the things that I've appreciated about this coming out with different eyes, um, you know, older than the last time I watched it is the, the structure of the, the trilogy makes a lot more sense to me now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really clear because, you know, it, it seems that the, the, almost like the world changes as his persona yes. uh, darkens. So the world becomes more barren as the narrative progresses. You know, and then you have, you know, the interesting thing uh, with Beyond Thunderdome of the chant, you know, two men in or one man leaves, mm-hmm. you know, so there is this Master kind blaster. of, <laughs> there is this like, um, I think the the kind of uh, intro dialogue for Road Warrior is kind of this, the, they're kind of recounting the movie, the first movie and yep. saying some stuff about how like, you know, his, his mind had kind of broken in some ways right. and things were different and he'd been affected by the outcomes of the first movie. Um, and so you, you're, you're almost at the space where it is like two personas of Max yeah, because you have these, these tender moments like where he's playing the little music box for the kid yeah. in Road Warrior. Yeah. But then he's also like <laughs> gleefully like taking out people with that his he cool, doesn't his like. cool shotgun. Yes. Yeah. So there's and that and that Beyond Thunderdome, the Wolf Kid. Yeah. <laughs> so dude, it's like you have that you know that two men enter, one man leaves, and it's almost like you. It, I don't know. I I almost want like a fourth. Like I want that full denouement to yeah. happen in like a fourth movie. Yeah. Um, God, like he's it's so just, old now. It would be so great. Like Mel Gibson, like come back as Mad Max now. As an old Mad Max. And it's just like, I'm just tired. I think they tried to make the fourth one with Waterworld and Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And on that note. <laughs> yeah. And thanks for joining us, folks. There's some debris for you. Brain debris. Brain debris.
debris. <laughs> Welcome to Satellite Brain Debris. Yes. Or Brain Debris, to be specific. And so, yeah, we're talking about a lot of times about um, how radically different everything is. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes in making art, I think one of the things that um, we're so focused on difference that we neglect commonality yeah. and possibly even like verbatim same ingredient. And so I have to think about yeah. it with food, you know, like um, I love, sorry if you don't eat poultry, <laughs> I mean, diet, diet talk is very, very intense. And so I'm not trying to push anybody away. Yeah. So substitute in something equatable in your eating experience, but let's take poultry. Mm-hmm. I love chicken. I just do. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's certain conditions that have to be met for it to be edible mm-hmm. as far as heat pressure, the time yeah. to make sure it's internally cooked. You don't get sick. That is universal. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't change according to where you live. Right. Not really. Yeah. yeah. Now that, you know, you may have an oven, a stove, open fire. There might be uh, means for cooking that vary, but they still arrive at the same kind of necessary state in mm-hmm. order to prepare this meal. Right. Yeah. Now that's a constant. Like that's, you, you don't, you're cooking at that level with the same stuff. Right. But then where it gets interesting is when you're having chicken in like Taiwan or chi- China or, or uh, uh, India mm-hmm. or Africa or uh, Mexico or Guatemala mm-hmm. or, you know, Southern California or Mississippi, the Mississippi Delta or, yeah. you know, um, the South mm-hmm. or, you know, up in New York. Like all of a sudden this same stuff is then becomes foundational to these other cultural ingredients mm-hmm. and those cultural, cultural ingredients, so to speak, the reflections of the values of that given space that the, the food's being prepared in can cause the sameness to feel so departed in two different directions that it, they feel otherworldly, otherworldly to each other. Yeah. But not to the exclusion of the foundational, um, aspect that I talked about or the constant, the universal, which is, mm-hmm. Hey, it's gotta be cooked this way. One, it's poultry Two, It has to be, it has to meet these fundamental conditions in order to then support the cultural differences Yeah, that you can, you can have a Thai. I love Thai food. And then mm-hmm. I, I love Indian food and I love Mexican food growing up mm-hmm. in, with my family and how different the poultry can facilitate these flavor profiles right, right. and how, much they become um, like tasty transportation devices into a different cultural milieu. Yeah. We tend to focus on the different cultural milieu and we neglect the commonality. And so then our, our art expressions mm-hmm. are anemic and we overassume difference to the detriment of commonality. So it affects our teaching, mm-hmm. our ability to critique and discourse because we never, we don't, we don't work from the commonality into the difference. We just start with difference and try to recraft um, a bridge, you know, in, you know, a, a bridge to cover a gulf that's not there. Right. So it's like making a bridge on land while there's land there and no need for the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 and it's detrimental, right? Because it, what it ends up meaning is you, you fail to actually talk about how things can improve. You just talk about how they can be decorated. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which I think is, you know, it's tough because we are drawn to art and design through that initial like frontal cortex, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sensory experience. Oh, this thing looks good. It gives yeah. me a, it gives me an immediate pleasure. Right. Um, so I think sometimes it's, it's 
or it's probably fairly natural for folks to assume, oh, well, that's what I'm, that's what this is about. And we hear this from non-artisan designers a lot, sure. right? That, oh yeah, well that looks good. Or yeah. that, you know, I like that. Yeah. That brings me pleasure. This sounds good, whatever it may be. Um, but we've also heard from folks say stuff about heavily discounting the work of the artist or designer mm-hmm. because the assumption is that what you're talking about, well, it's just not there. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a sheen. It's a veneer. It's a thing yeah. you put on top. If you, you know, you lean too hard on one or the other, you miss the fullness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we, we seasonally ebb between those points and, but always what's available is the fullness. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so you have, uh, you were saying that you, you lean too hard on one of those things. Like you have high modernism mm-hmm. on the side where you're only focusing on what you're talking about mm-hmm. with, you know, chicken has to be prepared a certain way. Yeah. So it's a, you know, a cultural search for yep. the right way to do it. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, so yeah. chicken is always cooked at this temperature for this right. long and that's all it is. Um, and even the ornamentation has to be so clarified. Um, and that's problematic, but then, you know, the, the revolution against that idea was problematic as well. So you had folks um, who were doing, you know, like magazine design where they were laying out entire articles in a font that couldn't be read because they said it didn't matter anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's just something nice to look at. So who cares if you get any of the information? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and that's uh, two errors on either side. Yeah, both of them made great looking things. Sure. But when you want to get into a conversation of who was making something that was maybe lasting or, or impactful, different conversation entirely totally brain debris brain debris well let's do it yeah so so elon musk i was just thinking about um uh entrepreneurship and you know a lot of like i feel like we wrestle with it's like we want we need money to do the things we do yeah but it's a car before the horse thing and um you you see examples of entrepreneurs that are not they actually don't seem like they're necessarily motivated by the money as much as they really are seeing the product yeah, or idea real. come alive yeah i think because you got these ideas with entrepreneurs like uh, something I tell students is, you know, you probably all have a friend who says they're an entrepreneur, but really they're just sleeping on your couch. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. and it's, uh, it's like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm doing the hustle yeah. trying to make things happen. And I think there, there is that as like a general part of entrepreneurs. Um, yeah. but I think a lot of the times it is very much, oh, let, let me make money. Here's a way to do it. Yeah. So the, the product neglected, I was just reading, listening to a, a podcast talk with, with, uh, Elon Musk. And then I'd read something about him. I just didn't know this cause I don't follow him too much, but um, the more I've paid attention, the less put off I am by him. I think he's an, an eccentric guy. Yeah. He's that person that you'd love to hate or hate to love. Yeah. 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 He really is. And so he, he, um, you know, I read that he put, I forget how much money into an investment in 2002 with pay, PayPal Yeah, and then became a billionaire, but then he dumped all that money into building these rocket ships and doing mm-hmm. this other stuff. And you're like, he's not holding on to his money. So, so he, you know, and, and I guess like in our own sort of wrestling through what we want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about that. You're like, a lot of times it's just, I want to make the products. I want to do the work. I want to make the thing or see the event happen or the film or the idea and money becomes a necessary byproduct. But I don't know. I just took, I took heart in that. And I, and I realized that like, it's kind of like what we say, or I say to my students is like a lot of times young artists want the benefits of being an artist without the work. Mm-hmm. And it, and I guess that, that category of mon- money falls into that same benefit. 
some people want the benefit of the of um entrepreneurship without actually having a product and so it's been been rattling around in my head is like what do you really want to see come into the world and what do you really want it to do Mm -hmm. and is it clear enough that other people want want to see it happen as well yeah yeah totally um i think in the classes i teach to deal with entrepreneurship there's two types of students there there's and they line up exactly with what you're saying they're the students who want to do things and they're students who want to see things happen yeah and usually that when, when I'm, what I mean by see things happen is see things happen for themselves, mm-hmm. not like see world change or see things yeah. bettered. Um, though that, those ideas are usually tied up in the people who want to do things. Right. Um, you know, and there's something very, um, there's something very active in wanting to do, and there's something very passive in wanting yourself to change yeah. most of the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it, it kind of hits that space and which is one of the reasons, and I know you agree with this cause you said before, um, one of the reasons why it's very difficult for me to have completely different definitions for entrepreneurship and art. Right. Right. Because there's always the, you know, the act of creating and, mm-hmm. and originality, so to speak for, to throw in some more heavy weighted terms. Um, but with both of those, like you're, you're wanting to do something, you mm-hmm. know, it goes back again, that Oliver Jackson quote, right. Yeah. If you're not making, you're not an artist, Yeah, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. the, the doing part is always helpful because Eventually, you'll do something that will make something happen. Yep. But you'll never be able to make something that happen without doing it. Side note on that. You should, if anyone's listening, Google, go to YouTube and just put in Oliver Lee Jackson. And you'll see a, uh, a talk on PBS. It's like a three-minute video. You'll see a 10-minute national um, gallery video of, of him talking. And then there'll be like one with a, and I'm forgetting what, it, I'm forgetting what the name of the gallery is. It's like something water. Oh gosh. Anyhow, those three will pop up and they're worth watching. And then there's two um hour long lectures yeah. at the National Gallery that I was mm-hmm. at. And one is just him and, and the curator from his show from a year or two ago. And then the other is him with a group of other uh makers that were a part of this um organization of, of black artists. And um it's it's cool to hear someone's uh talk to their old buddies that were all oh, yeah. doing things together a long time ago. But in all of that, it's just a worth, you know, catch an unusual mind at work, still, still making, still relevant, still thinking about stuff. So, yeah, um, kind of like putting his money where his mouth is, so to speak. Anyhow, just side note, that's worth, worth um, looking at. And I guess, I guess what I'm sort of rabbit trailing into is, um, you know, I knew him when he was a little frustrated that he didn't get the notoriety that. Mm, yeah, yeah, was warranted or he felt that was warranted and you know, who knows, but there's some truth in that, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so he's getting it now, you know, it's like the time is right, but he remained kind of true to the work and it wasn't contingent upon whether or not he was getting notoriety. Oh yeah. yeah. So the, uh, you know, that kind of entrepreneurship discussion mm-hmm. is like, he was a devotee to the work as he would say. And, and as a result, um, some people are just catching up and, uh, I think that's hard. I wrestle with it. I wrestle mm-hmm. with, um, uh, what to, what to do first and how much, um, because you have to, you have to strike a balance with, you know, making sure that the projects can be paid for and the mm-hmm. bills are paid. And I hate that that has to become a, a large part of my thinking at times, like mm-hmm. the season we're in now, but anyhow, it, you know, there is examples of people that have stayed faithful. Mm-hmm. I think we the long-term examples as much as the short-term We, we celebrate the short-term examples more. Yeah, definitely. We do. We, yeah, the, the meteoric, the viral. Yeah, the viral. We, we do that stuff. We're happy to do that. Yep. And then, but then the I think even the more detrimental thing is we're happy to then play that off as non-anecdotal. Yep. That is somehow normalized. It's not. Yep. Facts.
And on that note, boop. Debris. So I was picking up this book yesterday. Like a physical book? Yeah, like a physical book. And a book, um, book? Like a real book? You turn yeah, pages was, book? Yeah, it was a Kobe Bryant book that we got. Nice. His whole series he made. I think I've mentioned it before, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. The yeah, stuff that he actually did. Yeah, he actually did. And mm. so, um, rest in peace, Kobe. Yeah. He um, was making these books to feel like basketballs or like to feel textural. Yeah. And um, so do they feel great they color? Feel like they're basketballs? great. Yeah, they're great. They sit well in your hand. Nice. The pages feel good. Like I love the. Um, also, secretly, I feel like Kobe was stealing some ideas from my paintings. <laughs> Dude, he totally but, was. I'm sure it was. Yeah, there, gotta, there's something about the. They look like box paintings to me in the way that. Dude, I, who knows? He was just possible. like he was low key. I low did. Key I did message Kobe before about partnering with us. That's, that's no joke. Dude, that's that's that was your mistake. You opened the door for I him just to steal door, from man. Him. I know, man. Um, but yeah, our, our, our mad respect to Kobe. I was super excited about those books. So the books are still yeah, coming yeah. out and Laura bought another one and we haven't read them yet, but I can't help. So the thing is the quality of the book actually has something to do with the fact that we couldn't help but buy them. Like the way they feel and look. Dude, that's real. I'm a yeah. sucker for that. No. And, and I think that's it. Like, uh, I always had this trouble when I was a kid because people were like, can't judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I feel like a I can judge times cover bias cover. <laughs> it's like, like a lot of times you can, um, yeah, you true. know, it's like, that's cause true. I will tell you that I've read bad books that look good. Yeah. Uh, but I've also read bad books that look bad. Um, so I feel like it's one of those things where you can't, you can or can't judge a book by its covers, mm-hmm. like a more apt thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I think that like a love of books is one of the reasons I went into design anyway, mm-hmm. because it was the same thing. Like, I, you know, we've talked before uh, on the podcast about like when I was a kid, like the kind of seminal moments in my past were like summers in the library for like three or four hours on a weekday. Mm-hmm. My whole family would be there and I would just be sitting back in the stacks in the art section. That's like a big old stack of books. Yep. And there was something about the physicality of the objects but as I got older, it became more about the, uh, like the construction of them, mm-hmm. you know, like it's the same way that, um, as a kid, I really liked the way that cars looked, but then as I got older, I really liked learning how they worked. Right. Um, and so, um, when I was teaching at Old Miss, one of the big things I was doing was pretty much teaching, uh, long form publication design. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were classes I teach about uh, book design and how that worked. And it is like, it's an intense and like super insane process. Mm-hmm. I don't think people put a lot of, uh, a lot of stock into it when they pick up a book. Um, Cause the whole adage of like the simpler something looks, the harder it is to make Yep, um, is completely true with a book. Like mm-hmm. when a book works, it's because there's like literally Dude, so much science that goes into it. That's legit. It's um, there's it, the efficiency piece. The efficiency piece is like, um, yeah hard to um you can't fake it it's no. like a it's like a razor's edge mm-hmm. you know yeah it's i mean i was talking with somebody the other day about uh book design and they were you know they were they were coming off some like you know uh you know chickle <clears throat> Mueller brockman and like some of the stuff that those guys were rocking uh with like modern type and, and mm-hmm. grid systems and you know swiss type and stuff like that um, we were talking through things and I said something about the complexity of the page grid that they were using to make these. And he was mm-hmm. like, but it's, it's simple. And I was like, no, you don't see the grid. Like you don't, you don't see like the blueprint that makes that type sit on that page that way. Yeah. It's invisible. It's invisible. And it's very much, uh, 
the more simple the layout looks, especially like within modern stuff, the more complex mm-hmm. that grid is because the, the the craft and the process was a little bit more bound up yeah. in the unseen work right. in some of the ways. So, you know, the system, the structure, the way things were given a space to live mm-hmm. and function within a fully systematized object, like yep. is huge. And, you know, books, I don't know. One thing I say is like, you know, if you're listening and you're like, eh, books, whatever, um, go pick up a book. And literally grab yourself a ruler and start drawing out lines where it makes sense that things are sitting mm-hmm. and start doing it and try to decode what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think what you'll find is if you push into that as an exercise, you're going to see how like intensely built these things are. Um, but they're the most like prolific object in the world books. So we always just kind of throw them out. Oh, prolific objects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are, uh, it's a strange thing. Like just as a kind of a tangent to that, you know, Laura and I like to go to the library in VC or in, uh, Virginia. We have the main city library and they do these, you know, I think y'all go to them too sometimes where they, oh, they yeah. sell books that are oh, used, yeah. like people donate, man, it is hard not to go there and blow 20 bucks on like five or 10 books. Yeah. Be- and, yeah. and, um, you know, I pass over, you know, so there's the, was it some folks like the, their bibliophiles mm-hmm. and like just love, oh, yeah. I'm, I don't know if I am or not, but I, I do love, um, the object of the book itself. Yes. And, uh, there's a, so I have books that I'm reading and then I have books that I haven't read yet that are new that I'm waiting to read. And I also, I just, there's something about the form, the sort of the grammatical form, like just Mm -hmm. that or the form of writing the literary form or whatever that form is embedded in the form of the object of the book yeah embedded into the or in relationship to the function of the book Mm -hmm. so and so and then the hope or the kind of excitement that comes like i got a couple books that i'm really excited to read Mm -hmm. i got a big one that laura got me on hans hoffman Mm -hmm. that's written about him and then has his writings and it is like an 800 pager Mm -hmm. and i'm like i know i don't have the margins yet to read it but i just i see it i see the object and i'm like it's coming. Like you got me that uh, great book on uh, Stella that yeah. I kept like that I kept on my books, my, um, what's that? Where you sleep at night? Your bedside table. Yeah. My bedside table. So, so for like two years, the whole yeah, time. Yeah. So I just trans, I just finally moved it into my, man, I forgot about that book. That is a fantastic object. Yeah, it was so good that I, I would open it up, look at it a little bit put it back down and I love sleep. It's weird, but I like having it next, next Dude, on that spot. It's, it's like, I don't know. It's like, like the sleeve. Some of those books can be like, you know, like boxes of like really nice chocolates. Yeah. This somebody brings you from like some trip to Europe or whatever. Yeah. Like I'll have a little one right yeah. now. Cause it's all you need. Yeah. Because they are so kind of like nourishing and life giving. Yeah. yeah. Um, like some books you're, you know, you're reading them, you're getting into it for the, the intensity of the read itself. And yeah. That's the primary goal. And then there's books where you're like, yeah, you, know, you dip into them. Mm-hmm. And so that book was one of my art books are things I dip into. And I'm just yeah. like, it's like sitting, it's like sitting with friends or I don't know. It's weird. It's like well, reading the, a little bit, seeing a little bit, feeling a little bit. I feel like there's a quality like this that honestly I feel is, is intuitive when we see a good book, like a, a well-made, a well-constructed object that is a book. Um, there is something like there's a rightness about it, you know, that we mm-hmm. kind of see. Um, and it's funny, this is you know, a little off base in some ways, but the other day <laughs> I was going, run some errands with my daughter who just turned seven and, uh, she, uh, we were going down the road and she saw a car and she's like, oh, I really like that car. And she's like, I like the ones where like the tops come down. I was like, Oh, convertibles. And she's like, yeah. 
And I was like, yeah, convertibles are nice. Mm-hmm. And she goes, man, dad, they don't make cars like they used to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just like tripped out. I was like, you're right. Uh, can you unpack this statement? Cause I don't know what you mean as yeah, a seven year old. What does a seven year old mean with it? But I think in the same way with books, like there's something intuitive Yeah, we're like, yeah, that's a really nice looking book. Yeah. Like there's a little respect there. Yeah. 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 The corners, the edges, the way the, like all that stuff starts to kind of like kick in and heighten an experience. And then if the book actually has great content, good night. I mean, yeah. it's all, it's all, uh, all bets off. Um, yeah. So I love books. I love stacks of books. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, yeah. it's everything about what they are and what they might be once you read them. Totally. And then they're, and then it's what they are with, then they're what they are once you've read them. So then I've got the books that I love that I've read and, and that I'm excited to read again. Yeah. It, you know, and, and all of that though is facilitated by the sort of um, the making of the book, the building mm-hmm. construction of the book. And those are the behind the scene things that, that are like gift giving. Uh-huh. They're, they're doing work so you don't have to. Oh, totally. You know, and um, yeah, it's just trippy. It's trippy to be in a world where um, I just, I mean, I'm not like opposed to Kendall at all. Like I don't have any issue with that, mm-hmm. but I just love like the one thing that I haven't been able to turn over and just be all on my phone with is books. Yeah. It's, it's harder. Yeah. It's, it's harder. harder. It's hard for me to focus, man, to yeah. be honest with you. And I need those. I just love the, I, so the thing with the coming full circle, the thing with the Kobe thing is this, the thing is he was onto something. And I was excited about that as a pop level guy that had a lot of institutional power. Um, you know, I was li- before he passed, I was listening to these talks on, and, and he was talking a lot about the loss of f- the body's connection to things mm. and to story. Yeah. And I was like, he was really passionate about tying story to a tactility, like a tacit connection between the two. And I, I, I was excited about that. I was like, man, you get someone like that talking about this and then making the things if the storytelling could ever get up to the level of the concepts and you know, you'd have, you'll really have something, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's even by like, why we, we have like the thicker, bigger Harry Potter books with the bigger illustrations. Like mm-hmm. we've, we've bought all those or they've been given to us times like, or whatever, you know, there's a weight to them. When you carry it, sit down, it holds a weight literally yeah. that signals a, a, a weightiness to the experience of reading together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just interesting how all these things would like uh, correspond, but Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just a, I love books, man. Yeah. Man, so, books. uh, Yanni go out look at some dope books. Yeah. We have bring one. Them home. We have a, 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 a one from the apocalypse and the four horsemen. Yeah. 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 Check it out. Go to the website, go to the chocolate art space website, buy a legit book, get a book. I think they might even, we might even be able to give you a, get them to you for like 35. Yep. We can do that. Check it out. So my daughter um, is always drawing stuff, you know, like her kids do Um, and constantly going through enough paper to just destroy acres of forest. Oh yeah. Um, And so, you know, Hey, we recycle. It's cool. Um, (laughs) But the destroy acres, I mean, it's just like, (laughs) just like one after the other. Um, but we have this uh, this picture that she did the other day, and it's a simple one. It's a you know a tree with some grass. Well, it's, it's the sun. There's some mm-hmm. clouds Here in the comes sky. The sun, do do do, and the uh, and so Callie put it up on the fridge, and she was like, "I love this." And she was, I mean, she was more or less breaking down 
why she loved this image. Like she was explicating yeah. this image <laughs> on our fridge. And I was like, I agree with you in all parts. There's a certain quality of the clouds. Um, there's a, and the thing that stands out the most to me, the reason I mention it is the, the sun is your standard kid's sun, top left corner, a circle with lines coming off of it. But instead of just the interior of the sun being colored, um, Penny had made this multifaceted geometric shape that connected the endpoints of all the rays of the sun and colored in the entire shape. So it's this like 17-sided random geometric thing. But what it reminded me of, it reminded me of the sun that they show in the little intro to the fractured fairy tales on Rocky and Bullwinkle. Like very much so. Rocky and Bullwinkle. And uh, it's like, oh my gosh, what is this? So um, it just made me think about um, all the things I love. And we've talked about this on podcasts before, but all the things I love about the background art Mm -hmm. in early cartoons, Warner Brothers, um, Hanna-Barbera, you know. Oh, yeah. Your family has a a love of Scooby-Doo and all that. You know, I think Callie grew up watching like Wacky Racers and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But even 90s Cartoon Network sort of stuff like Powerpuff Girls, the backgrounds were this kind of, uh, stationary, like you could not deny that there's, there's a humanistic quality to them. Mm-hmm. Like they're extremely, like you can tell they're made by a person mm-hmm. and not spit out by a bunch of What's funny about those is the ones in the nineties are a commentary on the, on the, what, like the Johnny quest, um, Scooby-Doo, uh, Hanna-Barbera era. Mm-hmm. So like they're kind of, uh, um, they're a pop, they're a truly a postmodern, yeah. um, ironic poke at that. And yet the humanistic quality you speak of actually bleeds through the irony. It does. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Cause so many, I mean like those cartoons that, you know, you'd say they're, they're definitely much more edgy than like the Flintstones. Yeah. You know, um, but they're employing the same things. Um, I mean, they, they have the same, in some cases, the same levels of violence as like the Warner brothers cartoons did, Mm -hmm. um, and things like that. But you know, it's just, um, it's just an interesting thing because there is a definite quality that I think is like a warm, nostalgic quality for mm-hmm. a lot of folks that grew up during a certain time. Um, but it also made me think of, uh, I think it was Miguel that posted something uh, a few days ago about industrial light and magic and the work they were doing on like the original Star Wars and things like that. Oh, that uh, was a post that I posted. He wrote oh, a big that's what thing it was. on, yeah, I had oh, posted okay. this, these images from those paintings, the glass paintings, which are, yeah. I always think are some of the best glass paintings. And he, Miguel wrote this beautiful commentary. Yeah. And I mean, I, what I love about that is if you watch some of the movies that you grew up watching, yeah, there is the hand of an artist. Mm-hmm. Now you, you watch a movie now, there's still the hand of the artist. It's just all been digitized. Yeah. The, the analog nature is completely gone mm-hmm. in most cases. And so it's, it's in some ways it's, it's rough because you, you see this, highly perfected world that people are making through huge amount of artistic skill. Mm-hmm. But it just, I don't know, to me, it just doesn't always, it doesn't feel like it always holds the same weight. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I can look out my window and see something realistic, mm-hmm. like the real thing. Yeah. So there's always going to be a little discrepancy, a little something off in mm-hmm. the real thing that is fake. Well, it's tricky too, because so I guess what's interesting to me is so Jump 24 is in 20, 20 years in the future when mm-hmm. we're in full virtual reality films that you're first person interacting with. Yeah. I mean, we're, imagine, I mean, where you're not even, uh, or where films are hologrammed into your home. And so you're, you know, a third of your room is filled 
in depth and space and form with film, like, or, or storytelling, there's going to be people that, that are kids right now that are going to talk just like you're talking about, um, Marvel universe yeah. and the quality of, of green screen. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, it's interesting, dude. Like you're going to, you're going to have that for sure. Um, so I guess what I'm thinking about is you're making me think about is, is there, you know, we, we're contingent to a light, like a body in a time frame, and we're most affected by what we're in and around. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what impresses the most upon us. And it seems like we're only able to have so much impressed upon us mm-hmm. before we can't really take it anymore. Yeah. And so we start to square with what most impresses itself upon us. You know, I mean, that, that this is why. So like, but in an artistic sense, like it takes, t- it's like you, you end up having these things that impress upon you early in life. And then if you're, if you're making art and you're thinking about it at all, you bounce around through the rest of your life, making sense of that really brief amount of time when, mm-hmm. when the most things impress themselves upon you, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So it's like, oh, totally. Yeah. So it's like, I, I better understand this. I better understand now we were just talking earlier why Scooby-Doo, you know, if you go back there, you know, they're crappily painted backgrounds with giant brushstrokes. And if you start to watch it, you realize they're very gestural and expressionistic. And, uh, but as a kid, you're not thinking about that at all, but that effect is affecting you and it's impressing itself a value on you. It's a right impressing a, a meaning on you. So then you, you know, lo and behold, you become an abstract painter, mm-hmm. but you don't fully understand why, you know? Yeah. And so then you're, you know, you spend a certain amount of time looking back or through the archives of your, your recollection and you realize, oh gosh, like, um, but then you realize like I, to stay open to being affected is difficult. Like yeah, to keep yeah. availing yourself, you know, it's like, um, it's, it's, so there's a, a graceful way. I feel like you bow out on certain things. Like, mm-hmm. like I've, I'm not as, uh. I've bowed out on a certain level of uh, contemporary movies, contemporary mm-hmm. films. And partly, I think, because of what you're talking about. I just kind of appreciate the humanist, the quote-unquote humanistic quality of, of older films. Well, I mean, can I get weird? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so as you're talking about all this, the thing that I, my mind kind of wanders to is I wonder if there is like even a larger kind of cultural implication in the fact that um, the, I mean, it's still the same fake world that was being yeah. created over and over mm-hmm. again in the past, right? Like the, the, what, what, what film or animation is doing is not, it's not different, right? In a, in a large umbrella sense. Um, but a lot of the cultural values have changed. And part of me kind of wonders like with, with realistic backgrounds that um, can just look like what it looks like when I look at my window. Mm-hmm. Like, is there something about that that reduces my attention to them and then forces through that reduction, my attention onto the individual. Mm-hmm. And is there something about that? Is there something about our culture tied up in that? Mm-hmm. The, the, the deep individualization of everything. Um, whereas there is a totality um, to everything having similar qualities or differing qualities, but understanding that it was in a, a, a complete world, you know, and, and again, that might just be super weird, but is there something kind of there is there a like a cultural thing at play that um 
those backgrounds actually could could not exist in the super individualized like social media feed world that we have. Yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah, I'm jumping around in my mind and I'm thinking so I'm thinking about how um how well the Wizard of Oz is upheld as a film. Yeah. It's yeah. made in the thirties, right? Mm-hmm. It was in thirty eight or whatever. That's a crazy thought. But in so the impossible work of making that movie uh-huh. was so impossible. Like there were so many problems with that film as far as the story of how it was made, multiple directors, um, emerging technicolor, which has yeah. the lights are so hot. The mm-hmm. temperature like 120 Jeez. as they're recording or higher. I mm-hmm. mean, so they're, you know, the actors and actresses are in suits. They're almost passing out. There's all this labor and, and stress that you can't see on screen. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, lights are popping off. Um, and they're in these huge Hollywood um, stage backdrops. Mm-hmm. And, and you think about the structure of the stage and the backdrop. And it's the silent structure that's behind everything mm-hmm. that, um, that is holding a certain kind of weight that is felt in the film but not seen in the film. You can't mm-hmm. see it per se. But, you know, so... Um, yeah, like trying to think about like there's a there's critical scenes in the film where you know they're going off in the distance, but off in the distance is a painted proposition mm-hmm. that's clearly painted in a soundstage. But those actual effects are um, creating a potent experience that is um, analogous to the real prop, like what it's proposing. Mm-hmm. So the anal- it's analogous and therefore gives you an experience of depth and wonder and. Mm-hmm. exceeding hope in front of you like there's the thing and uh that doesn't translate at all into like a phone or like no. literally like i'm just like if i go if i see a clip of wizard of Oz, like i do not get that Mm-mm. um so the size of the screen exactly the the place that you're in um yeah i think there's probably a lot of things that are lost mm-hmm. also just the you know we're we're where does a culture go I mean, there's generation of, of people right now and no judgment, just, this is just their generation that will have the nostalgia you're talking about, but it will be strictly for YouTube and memes. Uh. And so like, where, so where are we going with those kinds of things? I think we're going into a future expanse. I think we've done a contraction. Yeah. yeah. And so I, my, my, if we don't sort of just completely implode, mm-hmm. which is very possible in my mind as a, as a society, I think. There are like, I just have a weird view that, well, I don't know if it's weird. I've listened to other people talk about it, but things are more dangerous than we realize in the world. Like the world's just more dangerous, Mm -hmm. just not as safe as we'd like to think. Um, If we're able to persist and make culture and art, I suspect we have some kind of expansive, you know, kind of renaissance ahead of us. Mm. Man, that'd be great. Like an unpacking of the meme. Mm. So the meme's bit like the, the meme is the accordion compressed. So it's the other, it's the opposite. So it's like when you compress an accordion and then you open it back up, I think we're, we're moving into an open up space. The thing though, is that I think it includes stuff that's far outside of our grasp as far as, you know, artificial intelligence and, storytelling is going to take on some kind of new form. I think a new form of storytelling is coming. Movie theaters are going away. Yeah. COVID 
kind of destroyed that industry. Yeah. It was already failing mm-hmm. and they were already grappling with like the cost of big budget films and expenses to go to the theater and keep people, keeping people in the streets and or in the seats and they're working in novel solutions, serving food. And so I think uh, theaters go away, but I think a new form shows up and that may create a new format um, that is not quite watching a movie on a flat screen. I just really think that we're entering into some kind of immersive uh-huh. um, real-time experience. You know, like imagine Lord of the Rings, but you're actually in the film experiencing the story, mm-hmm. walking alongside Frodo. Oh, yeah. Like I think something like that is coming. No, it makes sense. And then, and so what that, I just think that that. And I think that pushes even more towards that idea of the, the individualization. Yes. The world is built for you, for you. Exactly. Yep. So you're, so you, you, you just don't get the, uh, you won't. So, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's moving that direction. Yeah. And so then it'll be, it'll be, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that's the most I got right now on mm-hmm. that, but it's so. Yeah. Uh, how that, how that, um. I think that I think the evidence of the hand is like a really ancient and kind of primal uh-huh. uh, carry through. Yeah, that w- there will be cultural preservers of that, uh-huh. kind of like monks who, yeah. you know, priests who are that that are like uh, like watching over the collection. Yeah, watching over the collection and and still. Cause we we've lived long enough to know how important it is not to forget certain things uh-huh. and we will forget certain things, but there will be people that are like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm going to carry this tradition forward and yeah. it's going to have a small role in the future, but it will be preserved. Well, it's crazy. I mean, you, you think about that in terms of uh, like 30 years ago, if somebody was like, Hey, I'm a blacksmith, you'd be like, okay, whatever. Right. And now it's just like, yeah, I know you took the class. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like it's 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 not a it's not an odd thing to find sure. somebody who's a blacksmith, but yep. yeah, thirty years ago, never. Yep. Um, because those pe- there were those people that were preserving it, they were carrying it forward. There was a, you know, the Renaissance fair, like the twelve Renaissance fair guys across the country who still knew how to like you know make make a sword. Yeah. Um, and now it's it's a thing that you do exactly. You, you know, got some spare money. Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Debris. That's what I. That's what I say. Let's do it. I'm in. I'll be good. I'll be I'll just get in there and do it. Yeah. So, um, the Matrix. Um. You know, uh, Neo, <laughs> yeah, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> um, yeah, like it comes up so much. In fact, I mean, just this, this morning on the ride in, um, I passed by two of the exact same black car, and I was like, That's how you know you're in the Matrix. You're in the Matrix. I was like, There it is. It's right there. It's like they're just there, they're, they're in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, you know, it's not just some like blanket sort of like the Matrix. Um, but it's very much, uh, the, the part that I've never heard anybody talk about um, in terms of the trilogy of the matrix is that for the matrix to exist, somebody had to build it. Yep. Like you, I want to see the prequel to the matrix, which is, uh, you know, uh, called like free world, uh, the, the land that corrupted things into building the matrix. Yes. You know, like I want to see that yeah. little documentary. I want to see that movie because you just don't hear about it. Mm-hmm. Right. You got these people fighting against it throughout the whole trilogy. 
And mm. as like people who are watching the movie uh, or the movies, you're like, you're like, yeah, you should fight that crap. You should like yeah. blow that up, um, destroy it, get your freedom. And it's like, but somebody put those bodies in those weird gooey uh, mm-hmm. pods. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it started somewhere. And whether it was people of their own volition stepping into those pods and being like, bye bye, check out. Mm-hmm. Or folks that were saying, no, we're all done here. Uh, we're going to birth some babies. And we're going to stick them in some goo. Mm-hmm. And we're going to farm them. And when we die, it's just going to populate itself. It's called indefinite adolescence. Yeah. Mm. Capi- capitulation of responsibility. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So, hey, I don't want to be responsible. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. I just want to. It's, it's, it's called, I just want to, I just want to have. Um, Can I just get a pizza? And make yeah. I want to, I want to watch movies, have sex, eat pizza, listen to music, and not think about my life. Yeah. Can you, and then, and then can, so can I, I'll exchange that for my energy to power this machine mm. that I've built to take care of me, but it's now parasitically dependent upon me. But it's inverse, so I become a battery. I was going to say, it's crazy, though, because you put all that energy into that machine. You don't have any energy to do this stuff, like watch the movies, have yeah. sex, eat yeah. the food. Like, you just don't have the energy yeah. for this. So, you don't have, so then what happens is the, the apparatus makes it easier for you to lay in your coffin and, and just see virtual expressions. So, like, you go get a job in a virtual world that's mm-hmm. meta built into a, another virtual world where you're the host of a game that only exists within two layers of the game. and you actually get paid there, and mm-hmm. so you stay there, and it's happening right now. Mm, that's really weird, dude. Oh, it's happening right now, dude. And yes. you know what we are? We're the people with the horse and buggy going, dang you automobiles. <laughs> <laughs> stay off my roads. <laughs> you won't take down my end. <laughs> Would you <Yeah>. say, Denny? <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, it's just. Okay, uh, we'll open up at Denny's. <laughs> So, so we just, uh, so, uh, I mean, my question was like, who built the matrix? Are you just saying we're doing it right now? I think we've already been doing it and it was before Bill Gates. Yeah. Or, um, or what's his name from, uh, uh, climate change, uh, Al Gore. Yeah. Before Al Gore, dude, before the internet. I built the internet. I built the internet basically while sitting in a hot tub <laughs> with GW. <laughs> Just chilling. Just chilling. He was talking about becoming a painter. And we decided we'd run against each other and make everybody take sides. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, so uh, so. If we don't take responsibility for things, we don't actually take up some mantles and do some mm-hmm. stuff. Um, the matrix will. The the matrix will. It is. Yeah, it it's, actually it's is like a natural. It. I mean, it's. Uh, and you will want to look more like the matrix because. Um, you, you will want to look more like it and less like yourself because we tend to look like the things we love. Yeah, uh, that's real. Cause during COVID I tend to look like all the garbage food I've been eating. Dude, I was going to say like, that you look like a hamburger, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've been like, dude, I don't need, I eat you may see Gareth, <laughs> Gareth lately. He's been looking like a cheeseburger. Yeah. You know that dude from the, the, the Ronald McDonald group of like terror. Yeah. Uh, Grimace. Terror, no, no. The, oh. the, the. The mayor of Hamburgerville or whatever. Oh my, uh, mayor of what is, what yeah, is his name? Oh my it's gosh. mayor. It's like the mayor, but yeah. he's like a hamburger with a cape. Oh, bless his heart. <laughs> if you've never seen me before, just just look that up, dude. I miss those days, and I want to go get a Happy Meal right now. You just triggered my desire for a, a McDonald's cheeseburger. You're not so lying, bad. man. And you know why? Because uh, the matrix that I've created in my own body yep. by not eating well over the last year. Um, 
it, it perpetuates. Oh, it's self-perpetuating. So I'm like, uh, Steve, give me dude. that hamburger. And then I'm like, that's so nasty. And then oh, I'm can like, you just give me that delicious burger, please. Could I play, pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today? <laughs> uh, but yeah, what, what is uh, his, I'm going to find his name real quick. Uh, um, I would just like a, a, a nice cheeseburger, please. <laughs> uh, Mayor McCheese. Uh, his name's Mayor McCheese. Yeah, Mayor McCheese. Uh, I just think that's about time. Mary McCheese. Uh, that's uh that's so much worse. Uh I'm so glad that Dude, I'm calling you Mary no. McCheese. I was gonna say it's so much worse than Dr. Snack. I started calling you John Mary McCheese. I mean the dude uh the dude's got a sash. He's legitimate. Yeah. Um John John Mayor McCheese. John Mayor McCheese. There's your uh, there's your before and after. A, my body's a hamburger. <laughs> Something about the way the cheese on my head. Everybody go look up yeah. Mayor McCheese right yeah, please now. Do, and then please think do. about my body's a cheeseburger by John Mayor McCheese. I I mean he's got a he's a dapper man. Yeah. He's dude. a dapper dude. That's an ingenious um I mean, dude, you remember HR Puff and stuff? Yes, I love it. Uh, this is where this came from. Yes, yeah, these, these are these are these are day nightmares, man. Yo. These are these are what do they call those like yeah. uh not like what do you have uh, lucid nightmares, man? <laughs> Whoa, you got to po- oh, gosh, that's that's a- gonna be the picture. Yeah, you jar this. my memory, dude. Um, uh, how do we go from the matrix to Mayor McCheese? Uh, well, dude, because it. the matrix doesn't want us to talk about well, it. And the thing is, yeah, and also like Mayor McCheese, like he doesn't come about in a rational society, I don't think. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. There's some machination uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, that uh, an anthropomorphized uh, ham- just <laughs> just the head, uh-huh. like it's a body, a uh-huh. human body. Yep, with a hat, with a little giant hat. spectacles, a little mad hat, and a and a and and just like you know a golden brown cheeseburger, golden brown, and uh, you know the the rest of the bunch is pretty terrifying too. Yeah, um, because there's there's only a few degrees of separation between Ron McDonald and the clown from it. Yeah, it facts. And then you have a, a, a literal uh, felon. I mean, I think we were talking people. with Sam Tuttle about Grimace. We were. As the afterthought of all the characters. He totally was. Yeah, he Grimace was, the, was Barney before he was a dinosaur. <laughs> it's Barney before he got ripped in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> got, got some form. Yeah. Um, you know, got those, uh, got those muscles on his back popping out. Got those scales. Yeah, Barney's the best example of evolution I've ever seen. He is. Yeah. I mean, not Barney, but Grimace. Grimace is the best example of evolution I've ever seen. Yeah, he's that he's that drop of grape jelly that comes out of your sausage biscuit. Yeah, he's the transitional form between one thing and another that we never find. Yeah, well, no, you find it on your shirt. That's right, because you're like you're you're halfway through the Zoom meeting and you're like, oh man, that, it's that, Grimace. I'm still on my shirt. Dang Grimace it. is still on my shirt right now. Now you're making me look at my shirt. Dude. <laughs> well, there's also uh, there's apparently a British police officer that's part of this gang. I remember. Um, I don't even know. Uh, Let's see, police. I'm amazed that we've really lost our matrix focus. We've completely. we've gotten we we have this is true brain debris. This is meta brain debris. Meta debris. Meta brain. We had a <laughs> murder a, brain debris. We had a brain debris that turned into uh, brain debris. I just had a weird thought. Could you imagine if you and I did cocaine? No, <laughs> we no. would be we would be um, as hyped up as I am right now over this. It would be like ten times. It'd be scary, dude. It would Don't, be. You know, and we're no, not it, endorsing it or saying, I'm just imagining no. right now what you and I would look like hopped up on drugs. It'd be terrible because yeah. this is 100% natural. Yeah. Now, uh, here's the thing. Uh, the, the dude who's like the police officer of the group who's always trying to catch the hamburglar, right? So you got Ronald, you got Grimace, 
You got Mayor McCheese. You got the Hamburglar. Yeah. Right? They, they all got pretty decent names. They just have Officer Big Mac. All right. <laughs> like, that's that's it. They just drop down and they're like, all right, what are you? Well, you're, and, uh, first of all, he's not a Big Mac. Like he does have, he has two, two patties <laughs> and I, there is some special <laughs> sauce. I see no lettuce, pickles or onions. Oh I do see a sesame gosh, seed bun. really is offer, Officer Big Mac. Officer Big Mac. Uh, also, I don't, I don't know what his jurisdiction is. I'm not sure the, 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 the scope of his, if, is it just the Hamburglar? Yeah. If it's just that, then I think we need to have a defund Officer Big Mac campaign because yeah. he's obviously not doing his job. He's not doing his job. Dereliction of duty, a hundred percent. Yep. Um, get him out of here. I mean, here's one. This is pretty great. Uh, and this is uh, an actual toy. Uh, man, the, the, I wish this were not just an audio thing because this is terrifying. Man. Oh my gosh. That's like, an amazing toy. It, it looks like, it looks like somebody had a real toy and then they stuck it in like, uh, like one of those beef If you want to see this image, Gareth will send it to you. Just message us. Yeah. Let us know. Cause it's, uh, save that image, dude. Oh, I totally will. So back to the matrix. Yeah. Back to the matrix. Okay. So what were we saying about the Matrix? Well, my big question was like, Who's somebody had to make it. And yeah. nobody ever talks about that, yeah. right? I mean, you know, in the whole movie, I mean, at any point, does Neo go, hey, who made this? He never asks that question. He just assumes it. Yeah. And because and, uh, don't ask because the whole story falls apart. Yeah. and Because then mean, you have to ask who made you. But anyway. Yeah. And I think it's, it, in my mind, I'm like, I feel like the whole story gets richer. You know, because let's be honest, uh, the three movies definitely... Um, uh, in order of like garbage they, they or start, one, two, three. Yeah. They want to start matrix. Yeah. Great, man. That movie holds up. Yeah. But, um, they get worse. Cause and 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 interestingly enough, they have to default to a Messiah motif. Yeah. Yeah. They have to, to. explain. Um, and well, gosh, that's, well, a, I mean, I don't even know. It may not even be that. It may just be like the whole deus ex machina thing. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, and boom, I come in and something happens. Yeah. You know, where like, it's not even a, like a rich, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a kind of Messiah, like Christ figure yeah, sort not, of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just not. kind of like, and it's somebody was better than the rest of the worst yeah. ones. Someone was better and they sacrificed their life for everybody else. Yeah. But yeah, I just, you know, I just kind of wonder, I mean, like those machines don't build themselves, no. right? As much as like science fiction and some of the like uh, stuff from the, the mid to late 20th century, some of the great prolific mm-hmm. science fiction authors, you know, had these ideas about uh, machines being the next stage of evolution and, and everything kind of building itself, like n- nobody built those things. And you yeah. look at them and be like, uh, okay. And then like, who the heck, how, how these other folks get out and then how they build the technology for it. I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but most of them are uh, in the category of uh, if the machine is sitting there, if the machine is turning, then somebody built it. Mm-hmm. And uh, seeing that it was a machine that exists within the real world, then it was probably built by human hands. Mm-hmm. So somebody made the jail that mm-hmm. life now exists in. Yep. Yep. Crazy crap. Crazy. Debris. All right, so um, this past weekend I was at a wedding, um, and where we were, you know, it was, it was kind of a very, I don't know, hectic suburban spot. Um, so there was a lot of sprawl. So there were no, like, real green spaces. It was tough to find stuff. Stuff was just jammed in together. 
Um, so there's a lot of things pat driving through and passing through. You just miss seeing because there's so much of it. But one thing that really did stand out, one thing I saw on a sign uh, that made me laugh a lot was it was on a rental sign um, for, it was like a sign for like a rent, like an equipment rental place where you get like, you know, backhoes and skid steers and stuff. And it said, uh, it said, uh, worst, worst apocalypse ever stay safe fam. And I was like, that's <laughs> hilarious because that's, that's, you know, kind of a sentiment that I've heard. Um, but it just kind of, yeah, it just made me think a little bit more about this past year and how uh, rough it was. And also the places where like some kind of sanity and solace was found. Um, and one of the things uh, for me about this last year is like the best way to describe it is it just felt really pathetic. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you look back on it, you're probably not sitting there being like, man, I've got some really strong, good memories about COVID, COVID world. Um mm-hmm. In fact, you're probably sitting there saying, man, uh, when do we get out of this? Uh, wouldn't it be neat to be able to see folks and be around people and stuff like that? Um, and yeah, it just felt pathetic. And so um, what kind of was in my head a lot early on in COVID uh, were some of the lines from T.S. Eliot's poet, The Hollow Men. And I don't know if uh, people have heard it or if they've read it um, in the past or they have like a real good experience of it. But I kind of wanted to read that um, just to give you a chance to to hear it. A reading? A, you, I a, once heard. A poetic reading. Yeah. One, one of my favorite um, <laughs> commentaries on poems is to say that uh, poems are best understood read. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're like, you have uh, to hear. You, you really do. Yeah. Hear, hear the poem. Not, and, not, it's like the reading of the poem is one thing, but just to read poetry quietly, it's got to be spoken aloud. Yeah. Even if you're reading it to yourself in an empty room. Yeah. Read it out I mean, loud. like, it's necessary. So, um, you know, if you will, if you will turn to page 75 of your English book and follow along. Uh, but no, The Hollow Men by TSL, you should totally check it out. Uh, give it a few reads. Uh, what I've found is that it, it ages well. It really, uh, it really does work well. So, uh, here we go. Do it. We are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men, leaning together, headpiece filled with straw. Alas, our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless as wind and dry grass, or rat's feet over broken glass in our dry cellar. Shape without form, shade without color, paralyzed force, gesture without motion. Those who have crossed with direct eyes to death's other kingdom remember us, if at all, not as lost violent souls, but only as the hollow men, the stuffed men. Eyes I dare not meet in dreams, in death's dream kingdom, these do not appear. There, the eyes are sunlight on a broken column. There is a tree swinging, and voices are in the wind singing, more distant and more solemn than a fading star. Let me be no nearer in death's dream kingdom. Let me also wear such deliberate disguises, rat's coats, crow skin, cross staves in a field, behaving as the wind behaves, no nearer. Not that final meeting in the Twilight Kingdom. This is the dead land. This is cactus land. Here the stone images are raised. Here they receive the supplication of a dead man's hand under the twinkle of a fading star. Is it like this in death's other kingdom, waking alone at the hour when we are trembling with tenderness? Lips that we kiss form prayers to broken stone. The eyes are not here. There are no eyes here in this valley of dying stars, in this hollow valley, this broken jaw of our lost kingdoms. In this last of meeting places, we grope together and avoid speech, gathered on this beach of this tumid river, sightless, unless the eyes reappear as the perpetual star, multifoliate rose of death's twilight kingdom, the hope only of empty men. Here we go round the prickly pear, prickly pear, prickly pear. 
Here we go around the prickly pear at five o'clock in the morning. Between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act, falls the shadow, for thine is the kingdom. Between the conception and the creation, between the emotion and the response, falls the shadow. Life is very long. Between the desire and the spasm, between, between the potency and the existence, between the essence and the descent, falls the shadow. For thine is the kingdom. For thine is, life is. For thine is the, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. So a lot of things about that really kind of stood out over the last year. Um, one of them is that uh, in the last year, some of the things that I think were able to kind of keep me going at times, they weren't, um, they weren't Zoom calls. They weren't, you know, getting online and playing some video game with my, my group of friends. Uh, mm -hmm. It wasn't these like digital spaces. It, were, it, it, was, it was parts of art and design that really dealt with depth. Mm -hmm. Because there was a pause in this past year. You know, so um, the paintings in my house, um, the ideas that became pieces I made, um, really good films, uh, music was a mm -hmm. huge one. And poetry was another one. Mm -hmm. uh, several poets just kind of like stuck out in my mind. Yeah, outdoor work was one for me. Yard work and building, oh, building stuff, gardening, fencing. Yes. But the, uh, so go back, the, there's something in the quote. He, he's saying the shadow is between the, at the end. Yeah, it's between the conception and the creation. Okay. Between the emotion and the response falls the shadow. Between the desire and the spasm, between the potency and the existence, between the essence and the descent falls the shadow. And I think that's, that's something important. Well, I guess what I was trying to think about is, is in, um, shadows are cast because something is um, in front of a ray of light. Yeah. And so um, the, sh the shadow is falling uh, in, a, in such a way that it's speaking to a kind of brokenness. Um, things, things that are um, alienated from each other. There's chasms. Right. Yes. So it's kind of like um, if you go, you know, if you go to look at, when was this written? Uh, this was, it was post-World War II. So it okay. was, you know, yeah, it was sometime yeah. in the 20s. So it's like reading this poem and looking at a Max Beckman painting. Yeah. Because Beckman, you know, makes these uh, black outline chasms around figures. So they're always um, alienated from the, the most immediate things in front of them in, mm -hmm. in the paintings. And this is post-World War II coming out of Germany and yeah. Nazi Germany and all this stuff. So you have a lot of people dealing with th those ideas, um, it seems like. And um, to, to observe the, um, you notice if, if you were to say, hey, I'm alienated from myself, Mm -hmm. Um, we might, we might go, well, no, but then in the same breath, we're pretty keen to admit we don't know ourselves as well, or yeah, we want to grow that kind of thing, which is another way of saying I'm alienated from myself. The question mm -hmm. is, should we be? Yeah. Uh, the question is, how did, how did that happen? You know, how did you, you know, mm -hmm. things don't break unless they're fall, unless they fall. That's true. You yeah. know what I mean? Or, or yeah, someone 100%. breaks it or, you know, so like what, you know, it's, it's interesting that this one's getting at something that, um, you know, uh, I think, I think you've seen a lot of, um, brokenness exposed, mm, yeah. um, at the expense of something pretty horrific like COVID. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
So it didn't necessarily break everything, although it did break some things, but it exposed a lot of broken things. Yeah. And we're really in a season where people are turning over a lot of broken things, systems. Yep. Um, the question is, is there, uh, are we working with enough to, to, to put things back together again? Or Yeah. And I think, you know, even with those kind of dichotomies that is playing, you know, between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act, between conception and creation, emotion and response, desire and spasm, potency, existence, essence and descent. And says that the, the, the shadow falls between those. Mm-hmm. And so that means that like in a, in a real sense, uh, the idea cannot see reality and mm-hmm. reality cannot see ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, there's an obscuring, and it's not an obscuring of one thing. It's that both are obscured from each other. Mm-hmm. So it is, it, it, is, it is less of a limiting, and it's more of an obliteration mm-hmm. of things, which I don't think that we tend to have thinking in that kind of realm. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think we think in, 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 I don't think we think deeply enough. I don't think we think harshly enough. I don't think we think expansively enough. I think a lot of times we are, we are happy to think, in uh, one order of magnitude larger than we're used to mm-hmm. and fail to recognize that the world probably exists in thousands of magnitudes more than we realize. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, that, that, that things don't just get a little messed up, mm-hmm. that oftentimes yeah. things get destroyed, mm-hmm. which yeah, also, is a yeah. huge impetus for makers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I don't think we think, I think, you know, where I would say that I probably struggled a lot is, I might be able to think in certain terms, but then my doing is kind of um, flippant too, or just, you know, it's like, uh, um, it's like that terrible video of that lady that was taking selfies, helping people repair places post some of the protests and stuff. Yeah. And then as soon as the the selfie is taken, she opts her car and leaves. Like she's not actually a part of the scenario, but she's Mm -hmm. capitalizing on it for some social capital. I mean, it's like, it's like that. It's like doing that with real brokenness. And that is, um, and it's too tricky. You don't really know who's who, you know? So like we're in this really profound time of brokenness. You can't Mm -hmm. really know for sure who's the selfie taker for their own gain. It is tough. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And like how we reconcile, um, you know, what we, what we perceive and how we act in response and our, our, our actions are, you know, there's a lot of great people doing great stuff. So, but there's a lot of, uh, impotent responses, um, in, and, or what I would say is there's a line of, of people acting that we have the privilege of not knowing about mm-hmm. because we don't need to know Yeah, because there are people that are caring for their neighbor. I mean, I got shreds of stories of people doing amazing things, mm-hmm. but because they're not, they're not, um, seeking glory and fame or recognition you don't know about it. And um, yeah. that's happening far more than the brokenness we see uh, mediated to us. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, there's, there's, there's just a much compl- uh, more complete story that rivals the soft whimpering mm-hmm. phenomena we were experiencing in some ways. Yeah, there definitely is. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, our, our kind of, our kind of rote response to the world, especially in times of, of, of hardship mm-hmm. um in extraordinary times some people have labeled stuff um i think sometimes it is that retreat um and i think we saw it as a lot of people were very comfortable to kind of back back into their homes mm-hmm. and just kind of stay there i mean even yeah. now like people don't want to get out yep you know so the whole, i mean i don't want to get out yeah i mean i don't want to get out for different reasons yeah uh but uh you know i talked about that earlier yeah. in terms of 
gaining my weight. Yeah. <laughs> but weight know, gain. But the, you know, the COVID first, 50. <laughs> I got the COVID 50. <laughs> um, but, you know, the first two lines of the poem, like, we're the hollow men, we're the stuffed men mm-hmm. leaning together. You know, we hold each other up mm-hmm. in our hollowness. Um, and in your stuffedness. And in your stuffedness. I mean, like, yeah. you know, we're, we're stuffed up with what? Um, stuffed up for what <laughs> there was just a point uh during covid where I, I i borrowed from elliot and then i borrowed from oppenheimer who borrowed from bhagavad gita um and just kind of made this portmanteau where it was like we are the hollow men we are the stuffed men destroyer of worlds mm-hmm. you know that when we're in that state when that is the place that we are complacent to yeah we are world destroyers yeah we are world destroyers and so you know it makes the if if we think about that and you might be like whoa dude y'all are like super somber right now yeah. like maybe but uh but i think this is the charge like with art and design mm-hmm. it's not that we're making for a world that's already enamored with all the good things it's that oftentimes we're making for a world that needs us like yeah. that's the value yeah you know like i don't go to a museum because i'm just like you know what I'm at 120% with being just completely okay with everything. I just want to add a little bit more on top. Yeah. A lot of times I'm like, I need to get fed. Yeah. 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 I need to eat. I need to eat better meals. Yeah. And that's, and that's the reality of it. So again, you know, you, you, you look as at much as you can, as much as you'd love to, you can't just eat taquitos from Seven Eleven. Nah, dude. You will get sick. You will. Yeah. And as you should, because some of mm. those have been there for days. Days and days. And there's not real meat in those things. Yeah. Not the meat you want to eat. <laughs> That's the thing. Dude, if I'm running a brand of non-meat meat, I'm calling it not the meat you want to eat. Yeah, that's for real. Not the meat you want to eat. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, meat. Derail. Oh. I mean, dude, it's, it, we just go brain debris and brain debris. Yeah. Constantly. It's, meta, it's what it is. I mean, yeah. um, you hit a stride and you just say you don't, you don't understand the depth. Of these levels of brain debris. Oh, it's, it's, um, I've been thinking about this whole time. You can't uh, get to the bottom the of the rabbit hole. Worlds. I, all <laughs> I've been imagining is Star Trek. And uh, like, like the Borg or something? The good, no, just the good intention of Kirk and his crew to go out there and explore new worlds, but yeah, they're bringing yeah. the, the, the potential to destroy new worlds as much as they're bringing yeah, the, the potential to discover new worlds because it's rot within them. Dude, uh, the prime directive. Yeah. That's what they call it in Star Trek, right? The prime directive was we are observers of the world. Yes. And you know what observers of the do. world are? Yeah. They're uh, bystanders that are voyeurs. cowards. Cowardly voyeurs. Cowardly bystanders. But also potential destroyers of worlds mm-hmm. because, you know, there's a, a volatility rot within us. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Don't talk about that. I know. I feel like this topic has not been uh, adequately dealt with. Yeah. Could be a two-part. Yeah. Easily. Easy. I mean, much like the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Two-part. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So 1A, 1B. It is. uh, Hopefully more 1A than 1B. Yeah. Taco Bell. Yeah. Ask the question, Garrett. Uh, why do you like Taco Bell? Oh, have I told you? I've not really. I I know that you do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, and you, you know, know the story. I've said the story about like my. Mom oh yeah, you grew up yeah, and you yeah. had like you had old school legit Taco Bell. Yeah, legit like, Taco Bell, and my mom was pregnant with me, and that's really what her craving food was. Nice. So bean burritos, no one else. <laughs> um, I love talk. I love so I love Taco Bell, but I love to love Taco Bell. I can, I can feel that. Yeah. I love to love it. Um, mm. 
it's like uh it, and it may be that when you you uh let's get let's get real deep do it <clears throat> so there's taco it's deserving bell. of it yeah there's taco bell itself right yeah you know so i i like I, the concept the food the food okay. the taste there's just there's just the food right uh-huh. now that was established early because i grew up going to like real taco bells before everything kind of flipped with yeah, fast food in general so i can't shake the distant memory of that how, how cheap were the tacos when you started oh, oh my gosh man uh 15 cents dude something like that yeah, yeah that's amazing yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, I came along in like the 69 cent space bean burritos were probably like 35 cents or something like oh, that oh my gosh um and the thing was like the cheat it's crazy man like i have vivid memories of of seeing your food made in front of you the way like you do in chipotle so like yeah so you're looking over a counter and they're pouring they're pouring the beans they're in a big bat boiling uh-huh boom and then they the cheese is fresh Mm. so they dropped dude it was it was so good man like that's the thing is taco bell was good um oh man yeah and you can't get it that way again they don't we don't they don't make the meat the ground beef tasted different everything was different mm-hmm. but they managed to lift some kind of flavor profile out of that so yeah, you yeah. get like a a secondary version of that it's like a lesser version as the normative version now um every now and then i'll catch a bean burrito that actually tastes reminiscent to like mm. the originals but Man, they put the sauce in there and the cheese would melt into the sauce. Like there's just things that happened because it was real ingredients then, like, which is, I hate talking about this way because it shows how much it's not now. Yeah. Dude, it was just phenomenal. So then what happened was Taco Bell becomes more of a ubiquitous thing. And so you get to the 90s Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. That's where I came into the picture. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So now, now you're looking at their, um, they're starting to roll into variation. They're deep into variation. So the Mexican pizza kicks on like. Love it. Yeah. So like you start getting. Man, dude, in the 90s, Mexican pizza was the thing, man. Heck yeah. Because it was new, but they were still holding on to some of the heftiness of the, the old, old ingredients. They, like, it, was new ingre- it was the new way, but there was more heft in the meal. Um, and then uh, now it's a, sh- it's a phantom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a known thing. So like, you know, they, can, they can take things off and on their, you know, their uh, uh, what do you call it, their menu. Mm-hmm. But uh, why, why I liked it is like, it was first what it really was. Mm-hmm. And then in the 90s, as a teenager, as an 18 year old, you know, six, whatever, 14 to 94, I was 18. So yeah. So like that era, I mean, it was the, the nostalgia already, the, che- the cheapness of it, because it was still super cheap. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, the fake variation. Yeah. You really, you really like, suspended you're in your suspending disbelief like you know this is really just the same ingredients yeah the novelty of that mm-hmm. was like the next layer in the reasoning and then it became almost a parody of itself and i started to like the parody of of taco bell like i just liked the idea the idea of taco bell as yeah. this place that promises all these options and um you know can be called t-bell because i call it, we called it in my family t-bell mm-hmm I can't even remember how long ago. I mean, I've never not called a T-Bell. Dude, my, uh, my memories of early Taco Bell are in two categories. They're either getting like just a, a disgusting amount of tacos. Uh, when I would like go stay the night at somebody's house and like, you just like crush 20 tacos and play video oh, games, dude, man. watch movies. Dude. Just do your thing, you know. Call you just didn't know crank how call good people. You, you just yeah, crank call, dude. You just didn't know how good you had it. You you didn't, and and with that, uh, there were no side effects to Taco Bell no. when I was like sixteen. No, um, 
And if there were, I didn't know what they were. So that was one category. Like the, you know, the, the, the 20 soft toggers used to come in the shoebox. Oh my gosh, dude. And then the other one uh, was like uh, going on my lunch break from work mm-hmm. to go eat Taco Bell by myself. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of, it, it made the experience kind of super sad. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, anytime you're eating by yourself in a fast food restaurant, like in a fast food restaurant, it's a different experience. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you kind of feel like you're in a focus group mm-hmm. or maybe like in a university study. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always going to be one or two construction dudes yep. who you know are together from the same place. They rode there in the same truck, but they're lit- they're they're sitting like awkwardly far apart totally. from each other for right. no yep. reason, uh, even though they're going to get back in that truck um, and be on the same. Anyway, so there were those two experiences for me for Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then, well, I don't know, maybe the third one was like first married, super broke, at least once or twice. Taco dude. Bell was our, we go to Barnes & Noble. Um, or borders. Yeah. Bookstore, Laura and I, our dates were always, we go to the bookstore, mm-hmm. just plow through looking at books, just love looking at books. And then we go to Taco Bell and th- those were our, our, and then, and then when we were in Sacramento and we just got married, then it went from, um, it went from, uh, that to then adding in going, going for walks through Ikea. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Yeah, you got to work it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ikea was like cheap. You just walk around and look at stuff for free. Yeah, and use but, somebody um, else's bathroom. Yeah, and Taco Bell. Um, I mean, even like the weight of the food in the bag. It was like everything. It was a whole aesthetic. Um, the smell. So here's the thing. Dude, it's changed so much that when you go to Taco Bell, it doesn't smell like a Taco Bell anymore. No, that's how, I got that, a smell the in my, my head of Taco yeah, Bell that is not. It's not the case anymore. And <clears> I, no. I, I've literally my whole life eaten. I mean, since before I was born, I've eaten Taco Bell. Yeah, dude. So, um I feel like I got to be a rare just because of my age Mm -hmm. and when it really kicked off. I feel like I'm in that rare space where that was my mom's extreme craving food and she just ate those. Um, So I feel like Taco Bell needs to hire me. I I just believe that they should be paying us. Yeah, they really should, dude. I mean, we've talked about Taco Bell probably more than any other topic outside of the general topic of art. Yeah, I mean, dude, and and every one of my classes – for over a decade, students at some point, I get new Taco Bell eaters every year that are like, I finally get Taco Bell for the first time. I mean, every semester. What, I mean, what are people thinking, man? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a, just a gross prejudice. Yeah, it's a prejudice. I mean, Taco Bell, just the sound of the bell. I mean, the um, whole thing, man. Taste the bell. Yeah. Yoki or Taco Bell, man. Yoki or Taco Bell. Yeah, run for the day. water, all that stuff, man. And you know, and Taco Bell includes one of the things that was uh, like my mom's kind of go-to. Um, one of them, because one of them was fried chicken, but the mm-hmm. other was Doritos. Mm-hmm. All right, so they've introduced some Doritos things over the last few years, and uh, I'm not a huge fan of them, but I'll I love with the them. idea of it though. I do too. I love the idea, the yeah. taste. I'm like, you gotta kick it yeah, up. A notch. I'm not. I'm not. It's novel, <laughs> but and I, I like Doritos with things. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> it's a known fact. Um, but I like the idea of that. I like that they do stuff like that. Heck See, that's yeah. what I like. To, that's what I like about like Taco Bell is. The okay, so here's what I was gonna say. My other reason for liking Taco Bell is maybe because when you grow up as a kind of the kid that I was in Southern California, kind of the the blonde kid around a lot of folks that are not like you know um, didn't you know like all the stuff didn't know who my dad was all the stuff. Taco Bell is kind of like my my little cultural hub. Yeah, yeah, that's like what I identified with. Like not not even kidding. It's like it's kind of like I mean I almost everywhere I lived I lived by Taco Bell. 
Yeah. We used to leave lunch at high school. And if we promised to bring the security guard back a taco, he'd let us go grab lunch at Taco Bell. Heck yeah. Because it's just down the street. So like, I think somewhere in there, I latched on to this kind of pop level thing as like a part of my cultural heritage. Yeah. Because you're just kind of an American melting pot, right? Um, yeah. And by doing that, it also was emblematic of living through the emergence of postmodernism. And oh, Taco yeah. Bell is, is truly a postmodern facing the, the, not the, not the, so the thing with postmodernism is the, uh, it always rests on modernist principles uh -huh. and it gives you the look or the appearance of post of deconstruction or, yeah. so that's what I mean when I say it's, it's still a, it's still a business that has to operate, uh -huh. but they give you the appearance of, um, you know, it's like a pop level postmodernism in a safe way. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, like there's just so much heavy handed Californiaism yes. in it. I mean, just hardcore dude. I yeah. mean, like, it's I think from just, California. I mean, just like the, the branding of it, like the, the colors I associate with mm -hmm. Taco Bell are the same colors I associate with early 1990s California art yeah. in yeah, so yeah. many ways. I mean, dude, um, you know, growing up in the deep South, you know, thousands of miles away from Southern California, like mm -hmm there were certain things that just screamed California so culture. You, yeah. When you go to when, when the seventies, when you go to, when I would go, um, in, you know, early eighties, you, you walk up and it, you couldn't sit in a Taco Bell. Like it, they're just, uh, it's just like a, like it's a, a bell shaped building. Oh, yeah, dang. With okay. two, with two arches in the center that you walk through the arches and it's, it, um, there's a, there's just like a waiting room. So you walk in and you're just standing at a, a desk. Okay. Um, you order your food kind of like you would at the subway. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or Chipotle. It's like that. You just put, mm -hmm. you just walk in. There's nothing else. There's like, maybe like I have vivid memories of like my mom being like, there'd be like a stool, like two stools and be like, grab a stool. So someone can sit down because mm -hmm. you're waiting in these lines. Sometimes the lines wrap around mm -hmm. and, and you come up and you, you know, you got your, you order your food at the window or it depends on what, what generation it was. But, um, and so you're always taking the food with you or eating it. You know, because tacos are made to be eaten on the go. Yeah. That's why they were made. They were made for work, like workers to eat mm -hmm. while working to be wrapped a certain way and held a certain way. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you just eat outside this bell, mm -hmm. you know, and there's, you know, like the one that we went to, there's palm trees around. I mean, it's California, Southern California. Yeah. So it's palm trees and uh, it's got this Adobe vibe, Adobe, you know. Oh, yeah brick adobe filling or something with this like um red umber bell mm -hmm. yeah and it's called taco bell i mean you know and yeah, dude yeah just like a, like a like walking into a darth vader helmet or something i don't know <laughs> yeah uh ours was in the parking lot of a lowe's yeah next to an old school pizza hut yep yeah so that, there's, a there's the one there's the one the the true postmodern die death Mm -hmm. that Taco Bell died, but because it has like nine lives, it didn't, you know, it didn't kill it. It just died that time. It's when they enjoined it to Pizza Hut and, and KFC. Yeah. Once they started putting different smells in, 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 mm. into like a, the only way that that ever works is when it's in like a mall cafeteria. Yeah, for real. Cause like, I mean, and to be honest, like I don't, I don't want fried chicken and pizza. No, I don't want fried chicken and tacos. Mm. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. want fried chicken. And, I can do fried chicken. I'm more able to do fried chicken and pizza than I am able to do pizza or fried chicken with Taco Bell. Yeah. Like, yeah. if that makes sense, like, I can, I can do those two, even though I don't want to. 
Yeah. But when you put those three together, they don't, they don't make sense. They nah. don't, they're, they're too far off the, they're too, too divergent of, uh, so that's truly the, the postmodern juxtaposition. Yeah. Just the full unrelated juxtaposition and, and then everything suffers and the smells are bad and, and you're not able to like square with the environment. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. those are, that's the failure of Taco Bell. Man. But I still love them because they got nine lives. Like they're not, you know, it's, they're so postmodern that they've, you know, been able to like blow past it. Yeah. I've heard threats of Taco Bell closing. I was like, it better not happen. There's no way dude. They can't close. Uh, Mountain Dew would not allow it. <laughs> just can't. The Pepsi, the Pepsi Cola the, company. Yeah, it's like the blue Mountain Dew. It's just like, where are we going to release? Yeah. Like, our, where else do you drink? Uh, blue colored drink. I was going to say, where else do you drink, uh, you know, carbonated antifreeze? Yeah. Carbonated antifreeze, dude. Yeah. The bean burrito. Anyhow. Long live Taco Bell. Yeah. Long live Taco Bell, man. I, I, it's, it's a, you know, here's the thing. I've been able to pass on this legacy to my kids and all three of them are, are in it. I mean, mm-hmm. they are like, let's go. My, my son, Oliver six, he's already eaten like four things. Yeah. So when he goes, he's like, I want two bean burritos, two tacos. I was like, you're there, son. <laughs> You've, you've Dude, arrived. I talked to somebody the other week and they said they took their kids there for the first time and their kids like revolted and they wow. were like, no, what is this? And they were like, what are you talking about? Why yeah. are you, this is crazy. This is Taco Bell. This is T-Bell. Come on, eat it. Yeah. My kids love it. It's in, it's in our gene pool. Another reason why, another reason why Taco Bell should, should pay me. <laughs> You're genetically wired with it. Yes. I believe it. Yep. Bro. Debris. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.